your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's A Grad Chat. Of course a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs as well as CFRC so thank you very much to both of them. Now if your mates miss the show at any time you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today though I would like to introduce you to some special guests from Wilfrid Laurier University. Yvonne Runstedler who is a PhD candidate in human relationships and who is supervised by Dr Daniel Rosinski and James Dixon who is doing a Bachelor of Arts in Christian Studies and Global Citizenship. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Grad Chat Yvonne and James. Thank you it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Now, you're probably wondering why I'm interviewing two students from another university. Simple case is I got to meet Yvonne this past summer during the one writing retreat where we actually invite doctoral students from other Ontario universities to join us at Cubes for the Lake Shift. And after hearing about our radio show, Yvonne asked if she could come on. Well, you know, who am I to say no to that? I mean, as you know, I love to hear what's going on. And even nice to be able to hear what's going on at other universities as well. So before we talk about the research, Yvonne, what did you think of the Lake Shift? It was absolutely transformational. I ha- I just want to say like thank you so much to Queen's University for inviting people from across the province, especially because I started my doctoral program in 2018, and I, we all know what happened in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's been very it's been very isolating to be a PhD candidate. I think it is anyways, but particularly at this time. So at Lakeshift, when we gathered, there was 30 people who were working on writing their dissertations or some point in the writing process from across Ontario. So it's able to actually create community with folks that are at a very similar space in their program. And the, uh, the group was amazing. The amount of uh, diverse research that's happening in Ontario is, is incredible. Uh, and I also found that uh, we've created this beautiful online community afterwards where we like sign up online and we encourage each other to get our work done. And we're giving each other professional development. So I'm taking my career as a teacher tonight and I'm teaching some of my lake shifters, uh, some different presentation skills. So oh, just that's a, awesome. it's, it's a gift that keeps on giving <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm doing that. But last week, somebody else was teaching me about how to get published. And I just have Fantastic. to say, thanks, Queens. Like, it's just such a hugely amazing, beneficial experience. And I wish all doctoral candidates could participate. Well, thank you for, for those very kind words. And uh, it, it is something, as you know, having seen me at camp I, I love it I love the community feel and you know the first day you're never quite sure how everyone's going to get on and then suddenly it seems to click and as the week goes on you know the group's getting bigger and bigger and 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 what's really nice of what I have been hearing particularly from this group is that you are keeping in contact with each mm-hmm. other and finding other ways to help each other get through this writing process, which unfortunately you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and a shout out, a shout out to our first Lake Shift uh, uh, PhD finisher, Rowan, who 
defended oh, last week and she's Dr. Rowan now. So if she's Brilliant. listening, congratulations. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to send a congrats to her. So that's yeah. that's awesome. See, yeah. this is what it's all about, helping get finished and, and creating yeah. community. So, so again, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. But of course, today's session is not just giving us accolades about our wonderful programming, <laughs> being a little bit biased there, I know, <laughs> but it is about the research that both Yvonne and James are, are doing at Wilfrid Laurier University. And so your research topic is the experiences of transgender students in Catholic secondary schools. And when I first heard that title, I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting because <laughs> I know I'm a Catholic, but I know there's parts of the Catholic Church aren't necessarily on the same wavelength as I am. So um, I found it a very interesting uh, topic. Mm -hmm. So Yvonne, can you just give us some general background into this Mm -hmm. particular research topic? Yeah, so I'll just speak a little to my experience, what led me there, and then a little bit of background. Mm -hmm. So um, I was a Catholic secondary teacher for 15 years. I've had a variety of roles in Catholic education. And I noticed uh, as I looked around me and engaged with students that we often didn't address the needs of 2S LGBTQIA plus students in a way that I felt was necessarily helpful. It felt like a lot of people, a lot of teachers, a lot of colleagues wanted to do more, but were afraid. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, you know what, this like this silence, this this space of wanting to but not being able to, someone should really study that. And then I went on my merry way, <laughs> continued my life. And then and in 2018, I'm like, oh, I think that's me because I'd finished a, a master's degree a few years before. And I realized I was uniquely positioned to perhaps be able to contribute to this right. in a in a bigger way. In terms of sort of the research, just so many different ways to look at it. Theologically speaking, I always kind of wondered why people default to the most homophobic and transphobic possible interpretation. And I'm not here to say that those aren't present. So there's there's parts of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, for example, that are pretty problematic when it comes to to us LGBTQIA plus people. But as a cradle Catholic myself, I always, similar to you maybe, uh, Colette, wondered why that was the one, the place where people put their, their emphasis. And I kind of thought to myself, like, isn't there a better dialogue that's possible? Mm -hmm. So some of the research says that, yes, of course there is. And even looking at this from an intersectional lens. So some of the other research is talking about how we've done a lot of work in intersectionality. We've done a lot of work in decolonization. But what we haven't done is looked at necessarily how people's religious identities intersect with other parts of their identities. So often in academia, it's considered secular. I would argue that it's secularized. And it's hard, for example, a queer-identified Catholic person to find a space where they can fully bring their queer identification and their Catholic identification and find meaning and value and, and be, be loved and cherished and included for who they are. And it, so from that space of the literature, this research comes. Much needed for mm-hmm. sure and it's amazing in the education system right now a lot of things that were done in the past or weren't done in the past mm-hmm. and now being looked at as saying well maybe we should be looking mm-hmm. at these things and and a classic mm-hmm. example you know is indigenous histories and things like that weren't yeah. there before the black lives matters and brought another yeah. perspective on for instance bipoc 
students and how they fit into the education system. And now this, of course, is another area, again, which is really important for us to be looking at. So, and I th- it was interesting when I was reading your thing, you know, you know mm-hmm. schools are publicly funded. And, and sometimes I forget even Catholic church can be publicly funded because I know back home, there's two sorts of schooling. There's what mm-hmm. we call the govy schools, which the you know, government pays for and they're free. And then there's the pay-as-you-go sort of schools, more often than not, with denominational. So, you know, Catholic mm-hmm. Ladies College or Methodist Ladies, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. But they cost a lot of money. And I guess mm-hmm. paying money then, they could change things accordingly so they weren't necessarily funded Mm -hmm. in the same way by governments but I guess that's a little bit different here in Canada yes that's right yeah that's right so Ontario has publicly funded Catholic schools which means that uh, the Ontario Ministry of Education provides the funding for those schools so in that sense um, they are subject to the Ontario Human Rights Code as an example Um, legislation that is is passed. Catholic schools are subject to those things as much as as a non-Catholic or public school would be. And and so there's this tension sometimes between what some Catholics would deem Catholic schools, what what needs to happen Mm -hmm. in order for a school to be called Catholic, and the Ontario Human Rights Code, which in the case of my research, protects gender identity and sexual orientation. They're protected grounds. And so what does that mean for sort of the milieu or what happens in schools and, and what does that mean for inclusive acts? And, and um, that's all part of the, the research question as well. Yeah, so you, you actually put at the bottom of this, <laughs> the purpose of this study is to explore how transgender graduates of Ontario Catholic schools make meaning of the implicit, explicit and unspoken narratives on gender present in their secondary school context. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by narratives? Yeah, so I think that stories are powerful, right? And so, you know, when you're in a classroom and you're hearing a teacher talk about gender roles as an example, how do you hear that as a transgender student? If you're at a school and you're, you know, schools sometimes have masses and you hear a priest discuss a particular aspect of of Catholic teaching, how does a person who's transgender hear that? And then what, what meaning do they make as a result of those stories about themselves is, is essentially the question. I, I think that explains it quite well to everyone. But I love the word yeah. using stories and then, of course, how when they're yeah. hearing these stories, how each individual is interpreting that of how it, where they fit into that. Yeah. And ultimately, story. what story are they making? Or are they putting together about themselves? We all, you know, have stories about our lives, about where we've mm-hmm. come from, about who we are, and then. And the stories that we've heard and internalized impact the, the story of our life. So can I ask one, before I go into these other questions, can mm-hmm. I ask one more thing? Because when sure. we go through school, I mean, and I know my nieces went to a Catholic school and mm-hmm. there was the, the usual programming that you do, but then you had to yeah. do religious studies. Yeah. So when we're talking about some of these narratives, are we talking about across all programming? Yeah, so I left it intentionally open-ended because, as I mentioned earlier as we began this interview, there is theological space for Mm -hmm. equity and inclusion and dialogue. Um, So if you're familiar with Catholic teaching at all, Catholic social teaching is an example that talks about participation and protection of the poor and vulnerable, recognizing that the word poor can have a negative connotation. These are all available potentially 
but I don't know which ones, like the positive ones, the negative ones, really get through for 2S LGBTQIA plus youth broadly and transgender youth particularly. And with this research that you're doing, are you looking at primary school or secondary school? Yeah, it's secondary school. It's secondary. So I was a secondary, and that comes out of my own experience. I was a secondary school teacher, and that's the context that I know best. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So I was we... going to say grades grades nine through twelve for people who aren't sure what that means. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> and I even said prime instead of elementary. I realised that too. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So okay, so what made you decide to research this topic specifically? I know you've mentioned some of that. Yeah. And then. How is James involved? Because James is an undergrad student, which is fantastic that you're getting involved in all of this, James. But, you know, why involve James in in a project like this? Well, I taught James and he'll talk about that in a second. But (laughs) I am a white cisgender woman. My pronouns are she and her. And I think it's important that when you're doing research about a particular experience, if you don't have that experience, you should at the very least Mm -hmm. include people who do. That whole no talking about them without them kind of thing. And while I'm an educational insider, I worked for the system, I'm a teacher, and in the fall I'll be working for the Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association. While that's true, I am also an outsider because I am not transgender. So James and I met when I was his teacher. I taught him two courses, grade 12 theology and equity and social justice. And he's been involved as a consultant in this process throughout the entirety, basically since the beginning, because I knew him before I decided to ever do this. And and meeting him was part of the the impetus for applying to be a doctoral student. And he'll said this to me. He says, I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, it's, um, it's a I, sorry, so, sorry, not sorry moment. Yeah. Does I that can... mean, James, at the end, you get the PhD as well? <laughs> my, my name gets to be on it. So, you know, I don't get to be called doctor, but uh, I think it's rather unusual for an undergrad to have a name somewhere uh, on yeah. a PhD, so that's fun. Yeah, so I think what I'll do here is I'll pass it to James to talk about kind of how he got involved, and then I can speak afterwards, if it makes sense, Paulette, a little bit about, like, the things that he's doing in my doctoral process. So. Fantastic. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like like was mentioned, um, Yvonne was my teacher. I came out as a transgender man when I was in grade eleven, many many years ago now. And kind of as a culminating project for Yvonne's social equity class, um, I developed this like seventy five minute uh, presentation and workshop. And the collaboration between us this was a uh, this was not a requirement for her classroom. I just uh, kind of extended it. She wasn't forcing other students to do seventy five minute presentations in front of the entire school. But uh, it was something that I really, really wanted to do. And it was a great process. And we worked really, really well together. She gave me great direction. And I think that that was definitely kind of when we realized that we have this really great creative working relationship. And I remember after, I think it was the, because I got called back to do an encore performance of this. Well, that's uh, good. I, I made my principal cry that. twice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm probably I... <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that uh, it was new for a lot of people. It was it was very novel at the time. Yeah, after one of the presentations, I believe it was the second one, Yvonne said to me, you know, we're going to take the show on the road. And I was just like, sure, okay, I don't know what that means. And then we literally did. We've been working together uh, ever since. We've been doing consultancy and workshop work with different Catholic educators. Yeah, across across Ontario. I think we've been up to like 10 boards at this point. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. And then, you know, I got kind of pulled into her PhD work, which has been an absolute uh, blast. 
uh, and a joy to work on. So we have this really great, I get to be a consultant. She gets to be a mentor of mine. I got like one-on-one mentorship with a PhD candidate (laughs) for free. What? Yeah, it's incredible. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting too, that you're doing that because this is, you're both clearly on the, you know, the beginning end of making change Mm -hmm. or at least advising making an awareness that sort of thing so that must be very exciting for both of you absolutely yeah and i would say well we can speak more to the consulting bit in a moment but in terms of the doctoral research at the beginning of my program i was asked to create sort of a consultation group of people who know the subject area or know the context really well and james was in that and then Again, he became part of my consulting business. And then for my current PhD, he helped create the questions that I asked other transgender Jewish students when I did the interviews. And he also, we, we did a one test interview with him just to see how that went. And then he's been reading the anonymized transcripts mm-hmm. and helping right. me. And, and we've done coding individually and come together and compared the codes to see that if we have similar views on what's being said. And he's also going to, so when he talked about participating in my dissertation, he's writing a reflection on his participation in the process that will get published in the appendix. Right. And oh, that's also- awesome. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. so you've got got lots of different areas then going on Mm -hmm. with this, Mm -hmm. which is which is really nice to see. And he's also going to possibly get a credit for all of this work. We're just working on the administrative side of that right now. Well, that would be nice Mm -hmm. for you. Yes, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. It's a it's part of the reason actually why I chose to go to Laurier because Yvonne was going and I and I liked the program and I was like, if this makes it a little bit easier, that I can be kind of like directly involved. Uh, and that was that was a great that was a great benefit for me. So, did I understand correctly then what you just said, both of you, in terms of with the questions that James that you put forward? You, did you then have interviews with other transgender students? Yeah, I, I didn't facilitate them. Yvonne okay. did, but I've okay. been reading the anonymized data. Right. Yeah. So that's just because of the research ethics review board process mm-hmm. and the fact right. that I'm a doctoral candidate. That's Trans- one of the yeah. That's one of the delineation marks, right? In the future, who knows what we'll do? We have lots of ideas on how we might continue to collaborate. But he was involved, but he can't. I, he can't know the the identifying data. No, that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, we've yeah. got to be got to be careful on all of that. Yeah. So with all the sort of work that you both have been doing together, I guess Yvonne, what's it been like working with James? You clearly both yeah. get on. Probably called the dynamic duo going yeah. around with all these consulting yeah. sessions that you've had. But yeah. has there been any particular surprises or, or yeah. barriers? Maybe because you know. Maybe James isn't always available when you want him to be available. No, he's pretty available. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we work together on dates and things like that. It's been amazing. You know, I often get asked to come do different things. And for the most part, I say, can I bring my friend James? Because I do think, and I've said this to James often, I think we're better together. In the context that we go into, I think that the, you know, principals and Catholic educators like to hear from my experience as a teacher. I've been a teacher, a program coordinator, a union vice president and now I'll be working for the provincial union and so they feel I think some level of comfort knowing that I know their context right and as an academic I bring sort of the academic literature but what's been great for me is I'll read something about there's a an author his name is Dr. Joe Court and he talks about the coming out process he's not the only one that talks about it but he's one of them and the stages and phases of coming out and I were really reading this and then I'd share it with James and I'd say hey James what do you think about this 
and now I'll pass it off to James so he can talk yeah. about it. That's like, yeah. And yeah, Yvonne showed me that and I, I kind of looked at it and I was just like, this is so accurate to my experience. There's been so much Gosh. that I've quite literally learned getting into the academia about queerness, uh, about my own experiences and other people's experiences. So that, that's been an illuminating process for me as well. I have I have a long reading list from Yvonne that, I'm, <laughs> that I'll scratch the surface of soon, I promise. Yeah. That's brilliant. So any surprises for you? James, other than a long list of things to read? Uh, well, the the fact that I am even back to school in general has been a, a surprise and a, and a delight. I think one of the major surprises, and, and this occurred in high school after that 75-minute presentation, is that it's very meaningful to people who hear our like my story and, and our right. stories as well. Like people will come up to us after every single presentation and share their own personal experiences in their own life or their relatives or their students. I've had people come up to me asking for hugs and I'll just okay. hug them as long as they need to. And I don't know what's going on in their life, but, and this is what took me by surprise is there's something so powerful about our dynamic and about the fact that, you know, I have the opportunity to share to those, these people and it's very uh, emotionally fulfilling. And I think that people get a lot out of it. Okay, all that is great. But with your work that you, you're both doing, could I ask what kind of questions have you been asking and, and then what's come out of that? I mean, I would love to say that they're all positive, but we know they're probably not. So, can, can you talk about any of that or not? Uh, oh, yeah. So I'm just, what questions I'm asking the research participants, is that what yeah. you're, yeah. Yes. So I can speak to that and you're right. It's not totally positive for sure. So we've asked them sort of general questions about their background. We asked them, and I just ask open-ended questions, you know, what, what was their experience of high school, like from grade nine, grade 10, grade 11, grade 12, and what were they told about gender identity? And, and a lot of them say nothing at all. A lot of them say, I don't recall hearing anything about my mm -hmm. Uh, and I, or some of them will say to me, well, do you mean my actual gender identity as in like transgender woman, non-binary, transgender man? And, or do you mean like being a man and being a woman? And I said, well, ideally the first, but yes. if not the second, and the majority of the research participants, it's a qualitative research project and I only have seven, but I don't think any of them said they'd heard very much at all about being trans when they were in high school. Right. And yeah, and of course, there's a lot of a lot of them experienced difficulties with their mental health, a lot of them. And as a result of I think the alienation that they, they, they felt, I, I can't say for sure, because I'm not their mental health professional, mm -hmm. a lot of them experienced just feeling like they were other, uh, most of them didn't come out till after high school, although I would argue that's changing. I think the folks that not. graduated in the last few years seem to come out a little bit earlier, grades, grades 10 and 11. And so while we as consultants have this beautiful experience of feeling welcomed, I don't think that's necessarily the case for like the kids in the schools. Right. Now, right. some of them more recently have had better experiences of having a gay straight or a gender sexuality alliance at their school, which is an extracurricular club to support them. Others feel like it's their name, but it's performative. And so I would argue that we're really in a state of, of, of shifting. Things are moving, but we still have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. So what, what are you expecting to come out of this? Just, again, making people aware of this is the situation in our, in our schooling system right now and also alerting them, you know, the, the, here are some of the things we could be doing to making every student feel comfortable and welcome 
at school and be heard and be yeah. seen. Well, I think before we can make suggestions, we have to first see, right? Right, right. And I'm going to throw a little theology in here because it's fun to do so. So, oh, it's been a while uh, since I went to no. Sunday school. Here we go. <laughs> and you, maybe you never heard this, but there's this. This is, this is better than Sunday school. Okay. <laughs> there's this thing that's called the, the, the Catholic decision-making model which is supposed to be iterative and nonlinear and follow the idea of see, judge, act, evaluate. So you have to see a problem in its full complexity, really understand it, really get down to it before you can do the judging, which judging doesn't mean like judgmental. It means weighing how we right. move forward, mm-hmm. act like, and then evaluate and then go back ideally to see. I've argued in a lot of different things that we are not beyond see. And so really my, my, the purpose of this research, I mean, I might make some suggestions on how we could do things better, but is to truly see. And that comes out of my experience out of a lot of Catholics saying, well, isn't the cross the, the symbol that best includes 2S LGBTQIA plus youth? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Have you asked them? Hmm. <laughs> right, right. So, so I'm, I'm asking them, you know, right, right. not necessarily that particular question, but asking like what symbols are helpful what isn't helpful you know what and have is- they come up with some to help you uh yeah so <laughs> some of them talk about the fact that catholic schools have flown a lot of catholic boards not all have now are now flying the the, the prize leg some right. see that as a really really positive step and that it it shows that change can occur well, right. others, other people say that you know what like if you're raising the pride flag and you haven't changed your theology then you have no business raising the pride flag and they see the the church more monolithically right so right yeah so that's um, that's just a token thing to sort of keep people quiet yeah and i think this like gets to another aspect like james and i have a great working relationship but we recognize like i'm just one person one teacher mm-hmm. one researcher mm-hmm. and he's just one trans person there's lots of diversity um, right. across the gender diverse spectrum and right, so right. we get a variety of different views shared. Mm-hmm. Is there a hope, and I know it's hard to use the word hope, that down the track with all the seeing and trying mm-hmm. to understand different perspectives, that the teacher training itself will be changed accordingly? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think we have lots of hopes. Maybe I feel like I've talked a lot. So I'm going to pass it off to James. Maybe James can talk about his hopes and then he'll give me a second to think about mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know James has some good answers to this question though. Yeah, yeah we, we, both, we both have lots of hopes. I think the, the great thing about the consultancy and, and work that we've done around Ontario is that we're seeing very hopeful stories coming up of people quite literally doing the work. I think that, right. I think that lay people, I think that people in the Catholic community are, better Catholics than Catholic social teaching might. I think that people are very, very good at being welcoming. Like, obviously there are issues, but uh, I always find it very, very hopeful when people say, like, I don't know the exact language, but I love my kids, I love my students, and I want to, and I want to support them. I also think, ultimately, what I appreciate about Catholicism is that there is this basis of of love and sensitivity and respect. And I think that when people are in line with these values, logically, you accept queer people. That's something that people still need to learn. But the fact that that's kind of deeply ingrained in the teaching itself gives me a lot of hope. Well, that's good. I'm watching a little bit and I'm, I, I would, I've been, I just wrote this part of my dissertation. So you know how that goes, but um, 
I would say when I'm looking at the synodal process that current Pope Francis is doing, I'm being, I'm calling myself skeptically or tentatively hopeful because he's sort of in the process and in the, in, in the, the documents he's created for that process, created the situation where he's telling all of us to stop and listen to each other right. in this time of polarization. Right. And that's the best way I can, I can describe it. And so like one of my arguments is like, okay, what if we actually took that seriously in all of our contexts? What if we stopped and listened? And I mean, it's not just a Catholic, te- a Catholic idea to be a listener. <laughs> no, that's but true. If it takes, if it takes doctrinally the Pope to tell you that, then yeah. like, listen to that. Right. And then how, what would happen to all of us if we listened to the people who are most marginalized and I mean, if you look at the statistics on on the inclusion or transgender youth and suicide, it's abysmal. The rate of those who mm-hmm. attempt self-harm and suicide is really, really high. So I just think that even if you, by that standard, you you need to, as a Catholic, if you identify that way, be responsive to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I so I say tentatively hopeful when it comes to the synodal process, because I've also seen other processes happened in the past that have been hopeful and then the change and then been, nothing changes well so, the classic is not all catholics agree with the pope's yeah way forward yeah yeah and so that's an issue in itself isn't it sure. when when heads of certain groups change yeah often other other things come come into yeah. play yeah. So it's a bit of a tricky one for for you all, but like you said, as long you know, we've got to all just be going out there and at least seeing what's going on before we try and figure out, you know, how can we make this better for all. And I think across the board, we're all trying to do a bit better of you know the old yeah. love thy neighbour, mm-hmm. remind each other of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that when we listen, we. Are- we are open to other people sharing with us what's best for them. Like there's a lot of literature about how students themselves are doing this work. Students know what they need to thrive. Uh, I right. love, I heard this in from an equity speaker who was talking about black lives matter. And unfortunately I can't remember her name, but she's talking about black student thrival instead of survival. Cause sometimes right. there's too much emphasis on the negative, but how are these folks in these, a variety of different equity deserving groups already demonstrating thrival right it's a good word that i like that yeah 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 if i can find the name i'll give it to you so you can link it somehow. <laughs> it's not mine yeah it's one of the things because I'm, I'm trying to think you know what comes next on this i mean one is you know maybe we can change the curriculum to be more inclusive in our wording or as you said in the narrative that uh, gets spoken but the other side of it too is that mental and physical health side of things which is a big concern these days with yeah. all students all young or young people in general moving through an education system at, at all levels so, so what are the next steps for both of you and, and, and goals I guess from this project want to go first James yeah well uh, I know uh, Yvonne's main goal is to finish the finish the PhD <laughs> which I which I what, have finished it at the light shift what? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> And that's going to be, that's going to be absolutely incredible. You know, for me, uh, I, you know, I'm still an undergrad student, so I need to finish that program. I need to figure out where to go for a master's. And uh, despite all the struggles that I've witnessed with Yvonne doing her PhD, and my partner's actually doing a PhD as well, I still kind of want to do one myself. And I think, <laughs> you know, Have you not uh, <laughs> uh, I know, I know, and I know what I'm in for too, but uh 
it still is something that I want to pursue in the future. Um, That's great. It's beyond just Catholic education for me. Uh, like I mentioned, I do have hope for the Catholic tradition itself, and that's kind of where I want to go. Of right. Like, you know, the catechism itself is a relatively new document, and I think that there's been a lot lost between the actual, you know, scripture itself being uh, yeah. the book being written and where we are today. And I think that there's some stuff that we've lost, and I think that there's places where we can go. So. That is that is my goal. I think that it's a very lofty goal. I don't know if I'll witness it in my lifetime, but you know it's one of those things. But we need people like you, James. We do. So so keep keep that uh, keep that thought alive and that goal alive. Yeah. For me, mine are more. uh, Yes, definitely finishing the dissertation. I want to draft by the end of this month. There, I've said it on a podcast. You have. (laughs) Although by the time this is aired, that month will be over. So maybe that'll give me an extension. Give you two months. I also would like, like I've been asked by people, when are you going to write the book? And and especially from educational Mm -hmm. contexts, like how how do we do this? Could you give us some some guidelines, some help? And so I'm thinking about collaborative things like publications that James and I are both interested in working on. And I have a a group of other, uh, I'd say equity voices, equity leaders that could, I'm thinking of a, maybe some kind of compiled book, just continuing um, doing the kind of work that we're doing, doing presentations, uh, continuing to be a learner as you're more than well aware, this is a, an area that changes a lot. So you, once you're, once you're a researcher in gender, I think you can't ever stop. You have to keep going. But uh, yeah, it's hard for me to speak more because right now I am so unifocused on getting the dissertation done. <laughs> okay. Well, as we said in, uh, in some of our sessions, you know, small steps, yeah. one step at a time, and yeah. then you'll eventually get there. And then you can, sure. you can think of ne- next chapter. You know, it's been absolutely wonderful to speak to you both today. And I really do appreciate you um, coming on and wanting to share about the research, but also how you're both working together. And this this shows a really good relationship of, uh, you, know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a PhD student reaching out to an undergrad. And I know it started before that, really. Mm-hmm. And how you can work together to bring forward a really important topic that mm-hmm. we need to sort of hear more about to, ma- to help make some change moving forward. So thank you both so much for coming on, for giving us your honesty in, in all of this, because I know it's not an easy an easy task of what you've uh, both set yourself up to do. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. much. For having us. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. You're welcome. So that's it, everyone. A another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CFRC Podcast. Just type in a grad chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.